everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. You know, when we think about our favorite Bible stories, we think about uh, all the different ones, and what's interesting about that is all of them, all of the ones that we learned about when we were kids and, and growing up and, and still here in church today, all of them are surrounded by or have a cloud uh, over of uncertainty, of crisis, of chaos. As a matter of fact, the epicenter of our faith is um, surrounded by you know, murder, mayhem, and madness. I mean, we think about what happened with Jesus and all that Jesus went through uh, during those, those few days, murder, mayhem, and madness. And boy, as Christians, we should be used to that. We should know how to navigate this, and we should understand it as well as anyone in this world because it's the foundation of our faith. It's the epicenter of our faith is, is around these things. And uh, here's what they do for us. Oftentimes, and this is true for me, I think it's true for a lot of us, uh, when, when challenges increase, oftentimes, and it happens to me, our faith decreases. When challenges rise, when challenges you know, get, get uh, difficult, our, our faith oftentimes diminishes. Our faith oftentimes shrinks. Our faith oftentimes decreases. And here's what we can learn. We learn through that time, we learn a lot about God, don't we? We learn a lot about who God is and what God does and how God works. We learn a lot about God. And here's what we also learn. We learn a lot about ourselves. We learn a lot about how we handle things and how we go through things and how we you know, are able to navigate and work through stuff in our life that is oftentimes challenging. And, and all of us, all of us, when, we, when it comes to our faith, all of us, whenever there's crisis, whenever there's chaos, whenever, whenever there's mayhem, it always, it always you know, messes with and pushes at our faith. And oftentimes our faith will decrease in that time. And so, but here's the good news. God is never fooled when our faith falters. It doesn't catch God off guard. It doesn't fool God. It doesn't trick God. It doesn't, God isn't surprised. He's not thrown off by it. It never fools God when our faith falters. As a matter of fact, God is God because he's able to predict that and he's able to see that. And the good news for all of us is, is that he's able to use that. After the Jesus and the disciples gathered around a table to have their last final meal together, and at that table, man, some significant things happened. Jesus established a new commandment. And that new commandment was that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus illustrated that commandment by taking a, a bowl of water and a, and a towel and, and taking that towel and washing the disciples' feet, which was the, the role of the lowliest of servants in, in that household. And Jesus illustrated this idea of, as I wash your feet, I want you to go and I want you to wash others' feet. 
Jesus also instituted, which was a radical thing to do, Jesus instituted a new covenant and established a new covenant. Even though they were gathered around the table and they were celebrating Passover, Jesus was establishing a new covenant with them. He, he was essentially saying, listen, next time we, you gather, it's no longer about Passover. It's now going to be about me. It's now going to be about my broken body and it's now going to be about my shed blood and whenever you get get together I want you to break that bread and it's going to represent my body and I want you to drink of that cup and it's going to represent my shed blood and he was establishing a new covenant and the good news about this new covenant was it wasn't just for a nation which like what the old covenant was for but it was now for a entire world and that new covenant that he was going to establish was that he was going to pay the, the debt of, of sin, that he was going to pay the, the, the penalty of sin and death for all of us so that we can know what it means to be forgiven, so that we can know what it means to be set free from the bondage of sin. And so Jesus said, listen, I, I, after they finished their supper, they went and they moved out towards uh, the Mount of Olives. And it was an area where Jesus would, would commonly go with his disciples. And Jesus sits all of his disciples down and uh, is somewhere out in the Mount of Olives. And Jesus tells them this in Mark 14, 27. He says, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because... He says, it is written, and he's quoting now from uh, an Old Testament prophet, Zephaniah. He says, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. And now Jesus is predicting what will happen when the shepherd is, is, is strikes down, is, you know, and, and he's saying, listen, what's going to happen to my sheep is, is that my sheep are now going to be scattered. And then it says in verse 28, but after I have been raised, Jesus is telling them, listen, they're going to strike me down and you're going to be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But they don't hear that. They only hear the, the chaos. They only hear the uncertainty. They only hear how it's going to affect them personally. And it says that Peter, but Peter said to him, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at Peter's perspective. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at Peter and his faith and what happened to Peter. And, and Peter, in this moment, makes a declaration and says, even though, you know, you're saying, I know you're saying that when, when you get taken, I don't know what that means. Jesus, Peter's going, I don't know what that means, Jesus. I don't know what you're talking about when, when you're saying that they're, when they strike you down. But, but if that happens and you're saying that we're all going to scatter, Peter's saying, I, I, I won't. I'm not. When all, when all gets sort of, you know, mayhem and madness and chaos, and as, as you're describing, Jesus, I, I won't. That's not going to be me. It's not going to be me. And it says in verse 30, says, And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. He says, this very night, Peter, I know you're making this bold claim and this big, you know, ambitious claim that, you know, you're, you're, you're not, you're going to be with me and you're not going to scatter, even though they all scatter, that you're not going to scatter. He says, this very night, the rooster's going to crow twice and you're going to deny me three times. And then he, verse 31, Peter says, but Peter kept saying insistently, Jesus, no, 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 even if I have to die with you. Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing 
also. Jesus sort of doubles down with Peter and, and says, says, him, says to him in this, and, and Luke right, re- records this in Luke 22. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And so Jesus sort of doubles down with Peter and says, Peter, listen, I want you to understand something. Satan has demanded permission. Now, think about that for a second. That Satan has demanded permission. In other words, Satan can't do anything. The enemy can't do anything without the permission of God. That Satan can't do anything. And we, and we can even learn that from the, the story of, of Job in the, in the Old Testament. And, and so Satan had demanded permission. He says, listen, I'm looking at Peter and I'm looking at your other guys, but I'm specifically, I've got my eyes on Peter and I know that if I, ha- if I can sift him like wheat, man, that, that, that it's going to de- destroy him. And God allows him to, to, to sift Peter. God allows the enemy, Satan, to sift, to begin the sifting process. So for them, they understood what that meant. For them, they got that right away. Maybe for us, because, you know, it's not in our everyday life. It's not a part of our everyday life. To help you understand it quickly, here's what a, a sifter looks like. It looks like something like this. And, and before uh, the wheat would go into this, process into the sifter, um, they would, it would be what's called threshing. And threshing would, would be this, uh, this process of, of hammering the wheat off of the stalk, hammering the wheat off the stalk, and then whatever was removed off the stalk would be put into this sifter. And then there would be somebody that would take that, it would have all this dirt and debris and chaff, and, and then along with the, you know, the grain of wheat, that the, which they were, what they were going for, they would put it into, this, into the sifter, and then they would, they would shake it. They would shake it, and it would look something along this line. They would, they would shake it as vigorously as they can. They would shake it as vigorously as they can after they was already hammered on, and, 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 you know, and they, would, they would take it, and they would, they would shake it. They would shake it and, and until, until there would be just the useful, pure grain that was left. So the question is that I had, and maybe the question that you have, was, well, why would Satan... Why would Satan want to sift him as wheat if all that was going to do was produce this pure, useful grain that could be planted into the soil and then produce a harvest that is fruitful? Why would Satan want to do that? Because here's what Satan believed about Peter and here's what Satan believes about you and me when it comes to the time of shaking vigorously, when it comes to the time of, of hardship and uncertainty. He believes that Peter, he believed that Peter would just be chaff at the end, that Peter would be this useless chaff at the end of of the shaking. But Jesus believed otherwise for Peter, and here's what's important. Jesus believes this for you too, that even though the enemy wants to shake your life up, even though the enemy wants to create chaos and mayhem and uncertainty in your life, and he wants to shake that up, Satan believes that it's just when it's all said and done, when you go through that process, that you're just going to be useless. But Jesus believes that you're going to be useful. So the question for all of us, especially in this time of uncertainty, which is 
what many of our best Bible stories are around. You have a, we, have a, we have a choice. We either are going to be useless chaff or, or we're going to be useful grain. We're going to be useless chaff or we're going to be useful grain. And Jesus believed for Peter. And what Jesus believes for Peter, he also believes for you. That you can be useful. That you can be fruitful. That you, because of what this process does, just like sifting of wheat, that what this process will do for you is it won't leave you with something that's useless and not something that isn't profitable and something that doesn't produce. But he believes, God believes, that you can be useful. As a matter of fact, Jesus even told Peter that. He says in verse 32, in Luke twenty two thirty two, 32, he says, but I have prayed for you. Boy, hold on, hold on. Isn't that incredible? Think about that. That Jesus, even though that there's an enemy that wants to sift you as wheat and he wants to prove, he wants to prove to you and he wants you to see that your faith is just going to be useless. That Jesus is saying, listen, even though this is going to happen for you and even though I've granted permission for this to happen to you in this time, I'm praying for you. How incredible is it to know that there's a God in heaven, Jesus Almighty, that's saying, I'm praying for you right now. And I'm praying for you that your faith may not fail. I'm praying that your faith may not fail. And you, who's he talking to? He's talking to us. And you, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. In other words, Jesus said, listen, Peter, I know that you're going to fail me. I know that your faith is going to falter. But listen, when you come back around again, I've got a plan and a purpose for your life. Peter, I'm praying for you that your faith may fail, but I already know that it will. But you, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Why? Why did God grant permission for Satan to sift Peter as wheat? Why does God grant permission for us to sometimes go through that sifting process? Why? Because the enemy wants us to to, to wants to prove to us that we're useless, but God wants to prove to us that we are useful, that we're useful. And even though we may turn our back and even though we may make bad decisions through a time of uncertainty, that God says, I'm gonna use that vigorous shaking of that sifter and I'm gonna use that to produce something good, to produce something pure, and to produce something in you that will have a harvest that will last for a long, long time. And it will be fruitful. It will be fruitful for you and it'll be fruitful for the people in your life. When Satan didn't believe in Peter, God did. And when Satan doesn't believe in you, God believes in you. He believes in you. So we have some choices, just as Peter had some choices. Peter had some choices, and we have some choices. Look, they now move from the Mount of Olives, and they now move into a garden inside of the Mount of Olives that they call the Garden of Gethsemane. And as they move into the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus just takes a few with him, Peter, James, and John. He takes a few of them with him into the garden of Gethsemane and, and they go there to pray. 
And Jesus says, I want you to stay here, guys, Peter, James, and John, I want you to stay here and pray, and I'm gonna go off just a stone's throw away, and I'm gonna go and pray myself. He says this, and he came and found them sleeping. So Jesus tells them to go and pray. What happens? He came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? And so Jesus is off praying and comes, checks in on the guys, and, and he notices that these guys are, are sleeping. They're, they're asleep. It's, it's interesting that Jesus uses this phrase, keep watch, keep watch. This phrase, keep watch, means to be on alert, to be on guard, to be vigilant. That's what the phrase means. It's a, it's a military phrase. It's a military term that they would use when uh, uh, it was time for a soldier to go and keep watch over the city. It was time for him to check in and to, and to go on duty. And it was his responsibility to make sure that he was keeping watch for if any enemy was coming towards the city, if any you know, enemy was coming towards the, their way, that he was gonna go back and report it to, you know, to, to, to other other soldiers and to the commanding officer. This is the phrase that Jesus is using, and this is what Jesus is encouraging Peter, and this is what Jesus is encouraging us to do during these times. He's saying, listen, don't be sleeping during this time, but instead keep watch. And the idea of sleeping is the idea of just settling spiritually or just kind of going with the flow or, you know, kind of keeping up with the status quo of things or, or just sort of being, you know, content or settled where we are at spiritually. And, and, and so Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. During these times, during these uncertain times, during these difficult times, during these challenging times, you need to keep watch. You need to keep watch. You need to be on alert. You need to be on guard. You need to be vigilant. And then here's what Jesus, again, tells them. He says, keep watching and praying. Keep watching and praying. Why? So that you may not come into temptation. Because right now, here's a time when you're going to be the most tempted. And right now, here's a time where you're going to, you're going to want to, you know, your faith is going to falter. Here's the time right now where you're going to want to say, I don't really know if I really believe this, or I don't really know if this is really paying off for me right now. He says, you need to, especially right now, especially right now, you need to keep watching. You need to be on alert. You need to be vigilant. Because God, or excuse me, the enemy oftentimes uses these times of mayhem and madness and crisis to tempt us and to get us to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. Because Jesus says, listen, here's what we know, and here's what you know. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Yeah, I know the spirit is willing, but man, we also know this. The flesh is weak. So the choice that we have in this time is this. We either have a willing spirit or a weak flesh. We either decide, oh, listen, my, I'm gonna, I have a willing spirit. I'm going to have a willing spirit, a willing spirit, or I'm going to have a weak flesh. And here's, here's, here's the questions. Here's the questions. We either, we either watch and pray or sleep. We either watch and pray or we get sort of settled spiritually. And we think, you know, this is the way that it is. This is, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't know why we're going through what we're going through, but I'm just going to sort of just get into this spiritual slumber. I'm just going to kind of get into this 
lethargy of, of spiritual growth. And so Jesus is encouraging and he's telling Peter and he's telling us, he's saying, hey, we, we need to be at a time of watching and praying and, and not sleeping. And it says in verse Luke 22, 45, when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Why were they sleeping? They were sleeping because of sorrow. They're like, I, I, don't, I just feel this, this tension. I feel this, this emotion. I feel these uncertain times. And because of sorrow, because things weren't going the way that they thought that they should go, because their experiences weren't matching up with their expectations of what they thought life would be, because they were now trying to figure out how to start and get used to a new normal in their life, they felt sorrow. And as a result of that, they just, all they wanted to do was just sleep. They just wanted to do nothing, do nothing. And the flesh is, is good at that. And we know just some examples of the flesh, anger, pride, being unkind, being irritable, greedy, impure, jealous, ungrateful, worrisome. These are just some of the emotions of, of, of the flesh. These are just some of the things that, that rise up in us whenever we feel sorrow, whenever we feel uncertain, whenever we feel like, you know, I've got to now get, you know, ad, you know adjust to some change in, in my life. And we start to get angry. We start to feel pride. We start to be unkind to people. We start to be irritable. We, we start to hoard our stuff. And we, we start to think about what other people are doing or what other people have. And we get jealous and, and we're ungrateful for what we have. And then we just start to worry about things. And that becomes the issues of the flesh. And, and Jesus is saying, listen, I know, I know you're willing, you have a willing spirit, but you also need to know that your flesh is weak. In order to combat against that, you need to be a person that is watching and praying. You need to be, we need to be somebody that is watching, being alert, being vigilant, and, and, and knowing that, that there's an enemy coming and he's wanting to tempt you. There's an enemy coming and he's, he's going he's gonna to sift you and, and, and you're going to refuse to be useless chaff. Instead, you're going to be a useful grain. And so you're going to make a decision. My, my spirit is going to continue to be willing. I'm not going to fall asleep here. I'm not going to fall asleep here. Instead, I'm going to be vigilant, and I'm going to watch as the enemy approaches, and I'm going to pray to God. Why? Because I know that Jesus is praying for me. I know that Jesus is praying for me, and I'm praying to him, and we're in constant communion and communication together during these times of uncertainty, during these times that I don't get and I don't understand, during a time of crisis. The most important thing is to not sleep. The most important thing is to watch and pray. Why? Because just as important as my duty and responsibility just as important as my duty and responsibility, and all of you have tremendous responsibility, all of you have a duty now that you maybe didn't have you know, a few weeks ago, and you're now trying to adjust to all this you know, newness and, and change that's happening, and you have a, a tremendous duty. Moms, dads, grandparents, you all have a tremendous duty and responsibility. But listen, just as important as your responsibility is your time of watching and praying. As, 
important as it is that you have right now to be in the responsibilities that God has put you in charge of right now in this moment, it's just as important that you take the time to watch, to keep watch, and to pray. It's what we need now more than ever. And so Paul wrote, this church, wrote to this church in Ephesus, and here's what he told them. He says, for this reason, it says, awake, sleeper. Wake up. Wake up from your spiritual compromise and your spiritual settledness. He says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I'm telling you, when you decide, when you make the choice, I'm going to be a willing spirit instead of having a weak flesh, when you decide I'm gonna watch and pray instead of sleep, and you decide I'm gonna wake up from this slumber, why? Because when I do that, when I arise, Christ will shine on you, and he'll give you what you couldn't do for yourself. The disciples um, start to realize now that um, the, the betrayer, who is Judas, is now approaching. He's brought along with him um, some, a few Roman soldiers and a majority of some temple guards to come and arrest Jesus. And this is all happening within the context of inside of the Garden of Gethsemane. But as they're spending some time in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is, is praying. And he says, and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he says this, Yet not as I will, but as you will. He, Jesus is saying, listen, Father, this is, this is agony. This is, uh, this is chaos. This is uncertainty. This is craziness, what's, what's, what's about to happen. He's saying, Father, let this cup, let this cup pass from me. He says, let this, I don't want to go through this. And I'll talk about what that is in a second. But, G, but Jesus comes to a place where he says, listen, it's not about me. It's not about my will. It's about your will, God. It's not what I think is best. It's not what I think is, it should happen. But it's about what you want. It's what your will, God. And so we have another choice to make. We can either resist God's will, which is what Jesus was saying, God, let this cup, like, I, I don't want to resist your will, but, but, or, or, or we could submit to God's will, which is what ultimately what Jesus decided to do. Jesus said, listen, I, I, I don't, I don't want to resist your will. I've, obviously, this, this cup is, is a part of your plan and your purpose, and, and it's a part of your sifting, and, and I don't get it, but I don't, I don't want to resist your will. Instead, I'm going to submit to your will, and this is a choice that we have in this time. You either resist God's will or you submit to God's will. And so Jesus is talking about this cup, right? He mentioned the cup. What is the cup? Here's the cup. The cup is God's wrath for sin poured out on his son to remove the penalty of sin for everyone. That's the cup. It's God's wrath 
for sin, poured out on his son. So instead of God's wrath being poured out on you and me, it's now poured out on his, his son so that we can now know by faith, through faith in Jesus, that there's this gift of grace that was extended to all of us, that, that through that, that our sin can be removed, the penalty of our sin can be removed for every single one. And Jesus took that cup. Jesus drank of that cup. The wrath of God for sin poured out on him for you and for me. This was the cup that Jesus was praying. God, if there's another way. God, if there's another direction. God, if there's something else. And then he realized there's no other way. This is your way. This is your plan and you're in control, and it's about your will, God. It's not about my will. And that's a decision that you and I have to make in this time too. Is it about me, or is it about God? Is it about what I want, or is it about what God wants? The cup, in other words, the cup is Jesus personally, is his agony. The cup is his humiliation. The cup is his abuse, his rejection, his shame, and his pain. Remember, the epicenter of our faith, this is it. The epicenter of our faith and what we put our trust in, this is it. His agony, his humiliation, his abuse, his rejection, his shame, and his, his pain. This is what we put our trust in, that we believe that Jesus was the substitute for you and for me on a cross, and he took and he decided, I'm not going to resist God's will because that's worse. I'm going to submit to God's will, because God always knows what's best. And so that was the cup. But look what happens now. John records, says, now, the temple guards are coming. Judas is coming to betray Jesus with a kiss. As they're coming and approaching, Peter decides that he's going to take matters into his own hands. And Peter does something that we all do. He acts, he overreacts. He acts impulsive, and he likes to cause conflict. And so Peter thinks, this is my moment that I'm going to show my Lord that I'm not going to betray him, that I'm not going to walk away from him, that I'm not going to run, even though they all will run, but I'm not going to run. And this is Peter's moment. Look at it says, Simon Peter then, as they're approaching, Simon Peter then, having a sword, drew it, and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear, and the slave's name was Malchus. Now, I don't know why they tell us what his name is, but they do. They, John just wants to make sure that he gets every detail. He wants you to know that, that this is not just, you know, you know, this is not just fairy tale, that this is fact, that the scriptures are facts, it's history, it's recorded. And if anybody wants to fact check me, John would say, you can go and you can talk to Malchus. By the time he writes this, you can go and talk to Malchus and you can find out for sure. And Malchus say, yeah, yeah, Peter, Peter overreacted. Peter went, you know, impulsive on us and he pulls out his sword and, and he tried to cut my head off, probably. He tried to cut my head off, but I was able to duck out of the way and he just kind of got my ear and he cut off my ear. And, 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 and so, and Jesus' response, look at what Jesus says in verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword in the sheath, the cup which is the Father has given me. Shall I not drink it? 
Peter, 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 what are you doing? Like you're, you're getting, you're interfering with me surrendering and submitting to God's will and you're doing the opposite. You're now resisting God's will. Why? Because here's the, th- here's the thing. The cup represented the idea of submitting to God's will, submitting to God's will. And the sword, the sword represented resist God's will. That Peter was like, uh-uh, this is not how this is gonna go down. You're not gonna just take my, my rabbi. You're not gonna take my, my Lord. You're not gonna take the Christ who I know him to be. I'm gonna take matters into my own hands and I'm gonna do the thing that I know to do and I'm gonna react and I'm gonna overreact and I'm gonna act impulsively and I'm gonna cause conflict. And Peter, all he was doing, all he was doing was resisting God's will. Resisting God's will. And here's, here's the thing. Whenever, when, whenever, if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when has Jesus ever asked them to wield a sword? When at any time in Jesus' ministry did he ever tell them, make sure that when, when, when our arch nemesis approaches, when our enemies approach, that you have and you're ready to fight and to battle. Never at any time ever did Jesus encourage them to do that. It was always anti-Jesus. It was always unchrist like and all Peter was doing, all Peter was doing was acting unChrist like. That's not what Jesus would do. That's not how Jesus would handle things. It, he handled things opposite of that. So here's here's the way. A perfect example of that is is just in the story when G, when Peter cuts off his ear. Jesus, I don't know what he does. I'm not sure if he just allows a, no, a new ear to grow into his head. I, I don't know if he picked up the, the ear that fell on the ground and he put it back on, you know, Malchus's head. I'm not really sure. The, the scripture doesn't really give us any detail of that. But here's what we know. The very people that came to arrest Jesus and to begin the process of his agony Jesus extended grace to him. The person that was maybe responsible of handcuffing Jesus and leading him to an unfair trial, Jesus showed him grace. And before he handcuffed Jesus, Jesus picked up that ear and he put it on Malchus's head and he healed him when he healed him. This is the way that we need to respond when it comes to times like this. We either resist God's will or we surrender or submit to God's will. Let me give you an example of what that would look like. When others wield worry, we wield peace. When everybody else wields worry and anxiety and concern, Not us, not us. We wield peace. Or maybe when others wield anger. Ah, this is not fair. Ah, this is, I can't believe this is happening. Ah, what am I gonna do? If, you know, am I gonna get laid off? Am I gonna, what's gonna happen? When when we get angry, when anger, right? When others wield anger, we wield kindness. 
When people mistreat us because they're tired of this and they're, it's messing with their life, that's not us. We're gonna wield kindness. When others wield hurt, we wield patience. When others wield sorrow, that's not us. That's not us. We wield joy. See, this is what it looks like to submit to God's will. Yeah, we can't control the cup that God allows us to drink. But we can control the behavior in which we act with the, with the plan and the will that God has for us in this, in this time and in this season. We can determine that. And at no point does God want us to act during this time unchrist-like. And when Jesus could have showed hate, he showed grace. And when a time when they felt sorrow, Jesus wanted them to feel joy. And this is, should be us. This should be what we wield when it comes to times of uncertainty. You have a choice. You have a choice. A, you watch and you pray or you sleep. B, you can either decide, you know what, I'm going to resist God's will. And I'm going to act on Christ's like because if this is how God treats people, this is, I'm not going to do what God wants me to do in this time. And we can resist God's will or we can take this time to submit to God's will. And the last one is, are we going to be fearful or are we going to be faithful? Are we going to be fearful or are we going to be faithful? You know, the rest of the story, the story goes on that as they lead Jesus away out of the Garden of Gethsemane, they take him and he goes through all of these unfair trials. And it, scripture tells us that Peter was standing afar off as he's following Jesus. He's standing afar off and he's trying to get as close as he can. And I don't know if it's just Peter's way of showing Jesus that he's still with them. He's not walked away, even though all of them, have, all of the other ones have now scattered. They've all run. Not Peter. Peter's, he's there. He's with them. And the scripture tells us that Peter was warming himself up by a fire. And as he's warming himself by a fire, there's this young slave girl, a slave to the high priest comes and she recognizes Peter and she says, hey, Aren't you with him? Don't you know him? Aren't you one of his guys? And Peter says, no, no, that's not, I don't know him. I don't know him. And as soon as he denied Jesus for the very first time, the first rooster crowed. And that right there, that right there, talk about God's grace. That right there should have been a reminder for Peter. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Maybe I shouldn't be fearful right now. Maybe I should just be faithful. But instead, Peter ignored that warning of that first rooster crow. And another slave girl comes by as, as Peter, you know, moves to another, in another area. Another slave girl comes up and says, wait, I recognize you. Are you. You're one of his guys. The guy over there in, on trial with the high priest, you're, you're one of his guys. Peter again for the second time. No, I don't know him. I don't know him. I'm not with him. I don't know him. And then the third time, a bystander comes over and says, yeah, I recognize you. 
You're, you're the guy that was in the garden. As a matter of fact, you're the guy that cut off one of my relative's ear. You, you're the guy, you're the guy, you're the guy that cut off, you know, Uncle Malchus's ear. Yeah, that's you. And as a matter of fact, I can recognize by your accent, you have this Galilean accent, I can, I can recognize you. And, and, and Peter says for the third time, I don't know him. I don't know that blankety blank guy. And the second rooster crows. And I don't know what Peter was feeling, all what he was feeling in this moment. And I just want to have a little conjecture just for a minute. But as Peter was defiant, Jesus was silent. And I don't know if Peter is, he's drawing close to where Jesus is and and listening as, as the high priest and listening as, you know, Pilate and, and, and others are interrogating Jesus. And, 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 and they're listening. And, and, and or as he's listening, he's realizing that Jesus isn't really saying much. Jesus isn't really defending himself. As a matter of fact, I, I, can, I can give you a couple examples, but there's, there's probably five other ones. Look what it says in Matthew. It says this, but Jesus kept silent. And the high priest, Caiaphas, said to him, I abjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. But he's asking Jesus this question. But all the while, Jesus has just kept silent. He's just kept silent. Later, Jesus was moved to, you know, to, 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 um, to speak to the king of the Jews who was Herod. And it tells us this, and he, who was Herod, questioned him at some length, but he answered him Nothing. And there's multiple other examples of how Jesus didn't ever defend himself. As a matter of fact, it was prophesied in Isaiah how, how you know, he would be led as a, you know, a sheep to the slaughter, but he wouldn't say anything. He wouldn't defend himself at all. It was prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever falsely accused and arrested. And Jesus never spoke. And I don't know if Peter is thinking if God, if God isn't going to defend himself, if God isn't going to defend himself, then I'm not going to defend him either. Maybe Peter's thinking, he's not saying anything. Like, he's, he's not defending himself. And, and if he's not defending himself, I'm not going to defend him. I'm not going to claim that I know him either. If God's being silent that I'm going to just be defiant. And that's a decision and a choice that you and I have to make. If God's being silent, then maybe God doesn't care. Or maybe God isn't attentive. Or maybe God isn't watching. Or maybe God has other things to do. But here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. This is so important. This is so important in this time. God's silence does not mean his absence. You, if Jesus would have defended himself, he would have got off. And you know what would have happened? He never would have fulfilled God's plan. 
He never would have fulfilled God's will. If Jesus stood up there and and gave a a, a compelling argument, which we know if you read all through the Gospels, that Jesus was good with argument. They tried multiple times to trick up Jesus, to trip up Jesus, and they never could. Jesus would always trump what they said. And here's what you need to know. If Jesus would have defended himself, if Jesus would have spoke up, then he would have got off and never would have fulfilled the cup that he was meant to drink. So here's what we need to know. God's silence does not mean his absence. But maybe Peter, in that time where Jesus just stayed silent, and everything around him seemed to be falling apart. Maybe Peter thought, well, I'm just going to be defiant. And I'm going to deny my Lord. But when Jesus looked over after the second rooster crow, he made eye contact with Peter. And Luke tells us that he went out And he wept bitterly. If this was the end of Peter's story, it would have been tragic, wouldn't it? If this was all that was written about Peter, if Peter would have ran out in the the distance and never would have heard from Peter again, it would have been so tragic. But it wasn't. Peter ran after he wept bitterly. He went and he found the other disciples. And he did what they were already doing as they scattered and they were hiding. Because they were probably thinking what they did to Jesus, they're eventually going to do to them. And so they're going to hide and they're going to lay low for a while. And so Peter joins them in that. Three days later, as they're hiding out, they get a knock on the door. Probably an emphatic knock. And they're thinking, this is it. We're done. We're finished. They found us. It's over for us now. They're going to put us in an unfair trial. And they're probably going to crucify us as well. But it wasn't. It was the voice of some women saying, open up. Open up. Open up. He's gone. He's gone. One of them probably opens up the door and lets them in. They said, what do you mean he's gone? They said, we went to go to the tomb. We went to go to the the grave where they they buried him, where they placed him. And we were going to prepare his body for for burial because some men did it. And they probably didn't do it right. And so we were going to do it right. And and so they were prepared. We were getting ready to do that. And we walked up to the tomb. And it it says that the tombstone was was open. The the, the gravestone was, was rolled away. And we walked in and we saw an angel. And the angel says, what are you here for? What are you here for? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He's gone. And so they go back and they report this to Peter and the other guys. They're saying, he's he's gone. He's he's risen. He's not here. And Peter and others, here's the way that they respond. You know what they say? That is nonsense. They didn't even believe. And so Peter and John decide that we need to go and investigate this for ourselves. 
And they ran to the tomb. And they discovered what the women already discovered. That the tomb was rolled away and that he wasn't in there. And they saw for the very first time that it was empty. And shortly after that, the scripture tells us that Peter sees Jesus with his own eyes. And from that day on, everything changed for Peter. From that day on, everything changed for Peter. He went from allowing the flesh to win in his life, now being led by the spirit and not the flesh. He went from from that day on to being surrendered to God's will and not resistant to it. And from that day on, he went from being, being a coward to now being courageous in his faith. I mean, it, everything changed. Everything changed dramatically. Just in three days, everything changed. He went from lead, being led by the Spirit, surrendered to God's will, and courageous in his faith. What changed dramatically for Peter? A resurrection changed everything for Peter. And knowing there's a resurrection Believing there's a resurrection, putting your trust and your faith in the facts of the resurrection can change everything for you too. And that sifting certainly proved that Peter could be a useful, pure grain. And once again, the enemy was ultimately defeated. And that changed everything for Peter and it can change everything for you. Why? Because of a resurrection. Because of a resurrection. You're gonna have to come back next week, next Easter Sunday, to hear the rest of the story on how Peter's life changed dramatically and how it can change your life too. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much for this Palm Sunday as we look back in history and we see the failure, the faltering of a man's faith, yet God used it. And we have choices just like Peter has, that we can decide whether we want to live life that is fearful or live life that is faithful. And we can decide that we either are gonna resist God's plan and be unchristlike, or we're going to surrender and submit to God's will because that's what he wants us to drink from, the cup that he wants us to drink from. And God, I just pray, Lord, that we know, that we know without a doubt, without a doubt, that you have a plan and a purpose for our life. And even when the enemy doesn't believe in us, you do. Even when the enemy believes that we're just going to be useless, you know, you know, that we're gonna be useful. So we thank you for the confidence that you have in all of us during these times, during these uncertain times. At the epicenter of our faith was surrounded by this chaos and crisis. God, help us to respond in the way that you want us to respond. 
in this time, knowing, knowing what Peter now knows, that there's a Savior who the grave couldn't keep down, and he rose from it, and he conquered it, and he beat death, and that changed everything for all of us. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Hope to see you Friday night for our Good Friday communion gathering online at six o'clock. Hope to see you then. God bless you.